different. Uh, it is the first Sunday of 2019. Happy New Year, folks. Uh, yeah, it's a big day. It's a big day. It's a significant day. Uh, for me personally, it's a very significant day. You want to know why? Why? Okay, that's the right response. Uh, it was 10 years ago, the first Sunday of January 2009, that I started ministry in this church. Amen. 10 years ago. So it's like, wow. How quickly time passes. Little did I know at that point that six months later, my heart would be cracked open. I would have heart surgery. And uh, it's been quite a journey over these last 10 years. It really has. But thanks for putting up with me. Uh, It's my joy to serve you, uh, to love you as a congregation. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and love and encouragement over these last 10 years. It's meant the world to me and to my family. It's my joy to serve here. 10 years goes by fast. It really does. Yeah. Great. Good. Good. All right. So we turn to the Word of God. But let me ask a couple of questions first. Uh, Can we have contact with God all the time? All the time we're awake, falling asleep in his arms, and then awaken in his presence again. Can we attain that? Can we attain that? Now, Frank Laubach was a Jesus follower who served as a missionary to the Philippines. He had a call of God on his life. And in 1930, this rather remarkable man, in my opinion, decided that he would dedicate his whole life to answering this one simple question. Those were Frank's questions by the way, is it possible to remain aware of God's presence every waking moment? Hmm. Great question. Well, as we begin the new year, I trust that that will be our goal. How can we discover and maintain a continual relationship with God, staying in His presence constantly, regularly? Hmm. That's uh, a great, great challenge. It has been for me. Well, welcome to the short series we're going to use to start 2019 called Practicing His Presence. Now, if you have sermon notes, uh, follow along. I'm going to need your brains today, okay? Just a little bit, because this one's going to kind of stretch you, I, I believe. Uh, so stay, stay with me. All right, if you need sermon notes, would you kind of raise your hand and our ushers will get you something you can do your artwork on or whatever you do with those things. Okay? So, uh, this morning as we begin, a shout out to author Gregory Boyd in his book, Present Perfect, Finding God in the Now. Uh, From that book, I've gleaned some thoughts. Uh, Others have come from all kinds of other places. But let me say this. Many followers of Jesus go about our daily lives as functional atheists. You say, what? Yeah, I'm convinced that many Jesus followers go about their daily lives as functional atheists. What do I mean by that? We believe in God. That's cool, but the demons believe in God. right? We say we believe in God, but honestly, He's not really real to us most of the time. Now, we've got to develop a level of honesty and transparency here as we begin this. Otherwise, you're going to be defensive and resistant in your mind to do some mental gymnastics. I'm just saying, stay with it just for a moment, okay? Stay with it just for a moment. We may pray and worship God on occasion. I'm glad you're here to do that. 
You're here to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings, but these are special times, spiritual times, that are separate from our more normal day-to-day lives. Okay? Our lives of work and school and family and activities, the go-go, the hustle, and the bustle of life. And so we have these spiritual moments, and then we have the rest of our Lives And most of us are so busy that even the notion that we could possibly maybe experience in our little corner of the world God in a way that regularly is a part of our daily lives is a foreign notion. It's like, what? Isn't that just church? Okay. Many of us have prayed in this room a sinner's prayer. We prayed at some point in our lives a sinner's prayer and think that somehow this magically means we have a real and loving and vibrant, a moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus. Not true. Not true. Not true. It doesn't. Any more than making a marriage vow magically produces a loving relationship between two people on a regular and consistent and continual moment-by-moment basis. Right? For those of you married, all the married people said? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It seems to me that many of us make a vow to submit our life to Jesus. Yes, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. But then we spend about 99% of our time excluding Him from our day-to-day normal activities because they consume us. Hmm. Why? Why is this true? We often compartmentalize our lives. Men are better at this than women, right? Compartmentalizing a life. We separate the spiritual from the rest of life's experiences. And understand, uh, this is uh, rather unique in our current world to the West. We've had the opportunity to serve both in Africa and in Asia. They take these two factors, the spiritual and the secular, and they have melded them into one. For them, it's a foreign concept to pull them apart. Here in the West, just the opposite is true. It's confounding to us how we could put them together. So understand, a lot of this is cultural, and it's learned, and it's been inherited. Here in the West, our relationship with God is often boxed into this occasional prayer to meal, which somehow we think spiritualizes the food and makes our home spiritual because we say grace for 15 seconds over the food, right? Or we might read a Bible verse somewhere or go to a church service, all of which honestly have little lasting impact on our lives. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference, folks. Let's just be honest for a moment, can we? Will you be vulnerable enough to do that with me? Just saying prayer at mealtime and occasional Bible verse or or going to a church service, it's not going to have much impact on our lives. It's just something for the to-do list that we're supposed to do as Jesus followers. Hmm. Hmm. But in this process of keeping God from our normal life, the life that we usually spend most of our time in, we also miss out on the love and the peace and the joy and the consistent transforming power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us if we'll just acknowledge God's presence in the moment. Maybe, maybe as we start the new year, it's time for a new normal. Maybe it's time for a new normal, at least to look at this in our lives, to consider it just for a moment. Will you do that with me? Good, good. All right. This is something the Lord has been working on in my heart my entire life, and especially of late. 
The older I get, the more pressing this is. It's based, of course, on who God is. It's based upon who God is. God replied to Moses, there he is at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, and asked, who should I say sent me? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am, that is his name, correct? And the identification and the personification of that, of course, is always Jesus, right? So Jesus answered, about 1,500 years later, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. He identified himself as the I am. Now, understand this. He's not the great I was or the great I will be. He is the great I am. He is the God of the present. He wants his followers to live that way too, in alignment then with his character and his nature. He is the God of the present moment. He is the great I am. He wants his followers to emulate, to align with his character and nature so that we too consistently say, I am. This is the moment. Now, this is it. Now, is that reality in our lives? That's the question that we have to raise, right? Hmm, that's a tough one. Now, Cindy bought this plaque, and as a counselor, it used to be on her office wall. Now it's at our home on the wall, and it says this. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is your future. Today is your life. Live it. That's pretty simple, right? And I agree with that. I agree with that. It's a good way of looking at it. Yet our attention and thoughts are more often consumed by the past or the future. You'll give me that, correct? And I guarantee you, most of you right now are thinking about the past or the future. And I'm trying to reel you in, right? I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Reel your brain in because you're either going backwards or forwards. I know, because I am too. Even as I'm speaking to you, I'm thinking that way. Do you know that? Maybe, ooh, that's scary. I hear voices. Hmm. No, that's the way we're wired, right? That's the way we're wired. So Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, had something to say about this. He wrote, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. And the older we get, the more we kind of identify with that one. Oh, the good old days. Remember the good old days? Don't long for the good old days. That's not wise. They weren't as good as you might have them cranked up in your brain to be. Okay. Uh, Jesus told stories about clothes and wine to warn us of the dangers of living this way. He would put it like this, using it as an illustration. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But, what does that word do? Negates everything that came before, right? Anytime you say, uh, but, eh, erase Okay, no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. I like the old stuff. It's just fine. Hmm. The Apostle Paul never forgot about where he'd come from. Why? Because he'd write using a present tense verb, I am the chiefest of sinners, he would write. He never forgot where he'd come from, but he didn't let the past direct or dictate or decide or determine his future. He would not let that happen. He said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to forget about the past. Not that it didn't happen, but I'm not going to let it control me. I'm not going to let it direct me as I am in this moment and moving forward. I won't let that happen. We all understand living the past is like walking forward while looking backward. 
How's that going to turn out for you? Hmm? Think that'll work? All right. Porter, come on up. See, this, this guy's really athletic. Come on. Okay, let's hear for Porter. Okay, what I want you to do is try this experiment. I want you to look backwards and walk forward. Okay, so you, you're going to look backward, but keep walking forward. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> He's got good young peripheral vision, right? Okay. Should we try Bill Curran? No, we won't do that. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it for Porter. All right, Porter. Nice job, man. Yeah. If we do that for any length of time, it's not going to turn out well. I guarantee it. Right? It's not going to turn out well. But what about the other end of the spectrum? Do you find yourself thinking a lot about the future? How much do you think about the future? Maybe overthinking it? I do. Why? One of the reasons is the future is unknown. It's an unknown. It's incredibly vast. It's totally unpredictable. It's kind of wild and crazy. What's going to happen? Hmm. It holds great possibilities for both joy and peace, but also great possibilities for turmoil and destruction and devastation and testing and trials and challenges. All that has to do then with the future. And so we spend a lot of time thinking through that whole thing. Many of us spend a ton of time and huge amounts of energy trying to figure out the future We're trying to figure out the future, determine the outcome of the future, so that reality will begin to align with our expectations. (laughs) What a dumb way to live. (laughs) Because life doesn't go like that. We all have expectations, and we want reality to align then with our expectations. So we try to think ahead and take care of all the problems and all the possible situations, and therefore reality is going to align with our expectations. And Jupiter aligns with Mars, and peace will guide the planets, and love will steer the stars. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. All right, future tripping, which is a psychological term also called anticipatory anxiety, is peeking into our imagined future. This is what we think might happen. Hmm. And then we start to predict the outcome. Not only do we start predicting the outcome, we began to make the outcome reality. We're going to make it happen, right? We're future tripping. Everyone in this room future trips all the time to some degree or another. Some of you are there. We worry and sometimes freak out about the future, and by doing so, we are so consumed with future tripping, we're missing the present moment of being with the I am, being an I am person right here, right now. We miss it because we are over there or back there. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Now, future tripping, of course, is embedded in our Western culture and in our everyday lives. We are constantly challenged with future tripping, right? So this morning, you know what my Apple Watch said to me? Great job yesterday, John. You closed all three rings. Do it again today. Yay. Set the goal. Make the goal. Make it happen. Do it, right? Do it, right. Okay. We make a plan, meet these goals, we schedule deadlines, make sure it all happens, and it's all on our timetable. We're going to make this happen, right? Every job interview asks, where do you see yourself in five years? (laughs) 
And so advertising in America is designed to intentionally create dissatisfaction and discontentment with the stuff that you have. It's not good enough, it's not fast enough, it's not cool enough. And portray our future happiness and bliss if you'll only buy our product. Your life is going to be great. Just future trip with me for a moment and imagine yourself behind the wheel of that car. Now I imagine myself with that car payment. And I'm saying, those don't match. Those don't match. It's not true. It's not true. Right? So Jesus addresses the idea of future tripping. Here's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Well, that knocks most of us out right there. Boom. Because we're constantly doing that. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And together all God's people said, yeah, yeah and some of you are sitting beside trouble right now. And you got, you got your hands full with it. Wow, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's a command. How many of us are obedient to that command of Jesus? Don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah, it's pretty much unanimous. Hmm. So what are we going to do about this then? If excessive baggage carrying from the past and future tripping going forward are frowned upon in Scripture, what's the answer here? What's left? So often we are living in yesterday or tomorrow and we don't even realize and that's exactly what Jesus taught us not to do. But we do it. And we think it's normal. We think it's right, but it's not. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Yesterday is gone. We can never fix our mistakes. We can't do that. We can't change our history. We can't do that. It's already happened. And yet, some of us just stay there. We're stuck there. But tomorrow's not yet here. And living in the fear of tomorrow, worrying about tomorrow, is inviting ulcers and high blood pressure and heart attacks and discouragement, despair, depression, whatever it is. We can't control this thing. So, oh man, life starts to unravel. Hmm. How much of your life is lived in yesterday or tomorrow? What, what percentage? Just somebody be honest with me. What percentage of your life do you think is lived in yesterday or tomorrow? 95. You say 95, okay? Yeah, way up there. Hmm? 99, way up there, okay, way up there. Yeah. But that's just a question I throw out to you. How much of our life is spent in the past or in the future? It's way up there, and yet Jesus said, don't do that. So what are we doing it for? Huh? Now, I'm not talking about living for the moment. Living for the moment is a mantra that is really nearsighted. It's selfish. It's narcissistic. It's short-term. It's like here and now, and it's all about me. I'm not talking about living for the moment. I'm talking about that. But I'm talking about living in the moment. It's learning to, to lean into Jesus moment by moment, this great I am, not allowing yesterday or tomorrow to rob us of the joy of what's happening in our lives right now in this moment that's tough right that is tough to do i'm just laying the groundwork here we're going to get practical in just a moment okay god i am wants us in the moment here's what his word says the word is right here and now as near as the tongue in your mouth as near as the heart in your chest just do it look at what i've done for you today Today, in this moment, I placed in front of you life and good 
death, and evil. And I command you today, love the Lord your God, walk in His ways, keep His commandments, regulations, and rules so that you will live, really live, live. I command you today, look what I've done for you today. God is concerned about today. God is concerned about this moment. That's what He's concerned about. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread down from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. I believe God is continuing to test us. He's saying, be satisfied with what you have today. If you worry about tomorrow, I'm not going to take care of it. You take care of it. You think you can do a great job taking care of tomorrow. You worry about it. You plan it out. You make it happen. See how that works for you. God is still testing us and reminding us, stay in the moment, the present, the great I am. Now, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. Give us today our daily bread. This day. This day. What was Jesus talking about? Well, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, he's communicating this here and now mentality. God is with you right now. And because he's with you right now, he has been with you then and he will be in the future. He was teaching us to draw our attention back into this moment. How do we draw back into this moment? By asking God, God, use me now. Supply my needs now. God, hear me now. Now. He knew that if we get too wrapped up in the what might happen of the future or the what just hit me attitude of looking backward, we're missing out on the what is happening right now, right now. God is speaking right now. All right. Now, the present happenings are usually the times when we are transformed inwardly. The present moment is the time that we can be transformed inwardly and have the most impact on those around us. In fact, the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. It happens in the now. We're not making a resolution that this will happen next week or next month or next year. It's in the now. So I invite you to join me in refocusing on the present and trusting God to supply. He promised he would. So how do we do this? How do we trust God right now in this moment? That is the obvious teaching of Scripture. How do we do this? Easier said than done, right? (laughs) So let's close with where we're going to start next week. We're going to make it very practical next week, right? We're going to make it very practical next week. Good. And so there are two important words for time in Greek. So in your English Bibles... There are two words that are translated into the English word time. Now, stay with me. Try to get your head wrapped around this. This is important. The first word is chronos. The second word is kairos. Okay? Both nouns. Chronos and kairos. Now, chronos is where we get our English word like chronological or an adverb like chronologically ill or chronologically whatever. Okay? Chronos. Chronos time. It refers to this linear, this moment-by-moment sequential time. It's on a timeline, right? It's like a ticking clock. There's a beginning and there's an end. The clock goes tick, 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 tick. It's what we're talking about when we say things like, hey, this is really taking a long time. As you're in the, the one checkout lane that's open at Walmart, it's like, hello, right? Or what time is supper? We're just kind of throwing that out there. Or, hey, the game's on. Time to catch the game. Let's go now. 
Okay? That, that, that refers to the time, linear time, the ticking of the clock. Kairos, on the other hand, refers to a critical moment or an incredible opportunity. It's a much different word. Now, un- unfortunately, uh, both are translated time in, in our Bibles, because that's what we get. But understand, the Greek is using two very distinct words to translate this one word, time. So it's critical moment, an incredible opportunity. It's a God moment. It's used 81 times in the New Testament. And if we could mine these all out, you'd see the difference. Kairos breaks into Kronos time. So here's Kronos time, right? Here's the story of our life. It's a timetable. It's a timeline. And what God does is he comes with a Kairos and he smashes into Kronos time with a special opportunity to draw near to him, to acknowledge him. That he's speaking to us. These are happening to us all the time. We'll get there in just a second, right? So you get the picture of what I'm talking about. You got the chronos time. Here's your life going, okay, I got school tomorrow. Okay, everything's run by the clock and the calendar, right? But right into there, God comes smashing in with kairos. Kairos time. He said, this is a critical opportunity right here for you. I'm speaking to you. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? It's a God moment. Now, kairos, then, is often disruptive. It's meaningful. It's transformational. It's God working. It's not our little lives going along like we have planned, but something happens, wham! What are we going to do with it? God's breaking into our chronos time because he loves us that much. And he's communicating to us. Now, kairos is when we say, it's crunch time. It's meaningful. It's critical. Or, it's your time to shine. Or, it's go time. It's go time. Much different than Kronos. The divine crashes into the mundane, into our normal lives. Here comes the supernatural. Here comes God. Wham! So, the word translated time in Mark 1.15, let me illustrate this, is kairos. We wouldn't get that unless we knew Greek. The time, the kairos has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so it's, it's not a matter of Christmas and little baby Jesus being born in the stable, right? That's linear. God steps into time. That was a Kairos moment. Christmas is all about Kairos, God invading our time and our space and our world. But now Jesus, a man, says, the Kairos has come God is here. This is a critical opportunity. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Believe the good news. And he began his ministry. It was a critical moment. The kingdom of God, right here, right now, within our reach, it's right there. And these kairos moments continue. They continue. Now, we're going to use that phrase kairos moments to identify the opportunities that God gives us to notice where he's at work and what he's doing in real time as he breaks into our chronos time with his kairos moments. We're going to try to say, God, what are you doing here? What does this mean? What's really happening here? Kairos moments will always be an invitation and an opportunity to connect with God in the present, in this Moment. He doesn't give us Kairos moments to plan out the rest of our lives. He doesn't do that. He wants to deal with this right now. This is the moment. This is the critical opportunity. Now, we probably already catch some Kairos moments in our life, but most of us have two problems when it comes to Kairos moments. 
First one, they're happening to us dozens of times per day. God loves to speak to his children. He's constantly speaking to us. But we got our heads down. we got our face in a computer screen. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're, we're busy. We're making things happen. But we are only aware of them occasionally. Only a small amount of time are we aware when God is breaking in. And he's constantly doing this. He's constantly doing this. So Jessica comes to my office on Thursday and says, oh, you see the sunset? I'd already been looking at it. Because that was a Kairos moment. That was God breaking in to my normal routine of everyday life, showing his glory and his splendor. But that speaks to my heart about my current need, Right? God, if you could do that, imagine what you could do for this thing that I'm wrestling with, which seems so mundane and small and trivial compared to that incredible sunset in the West. Which way is the West? <laughs> yeah, they all laugh because I'm like, uh, somewhere over there. Okay. <sighs> but that's God speaking. That is a Kairos moment for us. They're happening to us all day long. Secondly, even if we do notice Kairos moments, we don't know what in the world we're supposed to do with them. Right? And I think one of the greatest illustrations when you drive out of here and someone pulls in front of you. Here's a Kairos moment for you. God's breaking in right there. And he's saying stuff about the attitude of my heart. Right? That wasn't an accident. That wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't a happenstance. God broke in to the fact that I'm driving here and I got to get there. But he's got another plan. Now the question is, am I going to embrace that Kairos moment? Or am I going to let that slip and just say, oh, whatever. And I go on with my daily life. Now next week we'll pick it up here with some practical ways to encounter God in the present moment. What do we do with this Kairos stuff when God breaks in? What do we do? How can we practice his presence? And I will say this next week, so let me say it right now. These Kairos moments are best processed in community. In community with other Jesus followers that's when they truly begin to make sense and we just had that experience this morning didn't we yeah we did and when you do it in the context of community we then begin to see what god is saying through others and we become far more objective we are so blind sometimes you know what i'm saying Others can help us see more clearly. So these Kairos moments are best processed within the context of community. That's what our home groups are all about. And if you've not yet signed up for a home group, I encourage you to do that. Because this is where we can see what God is doing here and process together. How is God moving in our lives? How is he working? What does this mean? What is God saying to my heart right now? This is where it's at, right? All right, I'm going to quit because I'm rambling. But any questions? I want to make sure you got this foundation because next week we're going to get real practical. Some of you guys have some really cool ways of staying in the presence of God. There's little things that you do. I don't care if you put the post-it up on your bathroom mirror, right? Or like Michael does, are you awake? I mean, there's all kinds of little ways that we can do this. And we're going to put some feet to this thing next week. And we're going to hear from each other. How do we make these, these Kairos moments make sense? And how do we stay in the presence of God in a regular way so that when they happen, we can say, God, what are you showing me here? Sound good? All right. But I want to make sure. You got the concept between Kronos and Kairos? Everybody understand that? Okay. For those of you that are future tripping, come back just for a moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I 
every time I hear a Bible zip, I know, okay, they're future tripping. Bye-bye. I can smell that roast now. Here we go. Yeah. Any questions? Want to make sure everybody's got no dumb questions? Well, some of them are, but that's not the point. Go ahead and ask. Everybody clear? Chloe. Good. So how do you not future trip but still plan? Is planning wrong? No. In fact, God says, hey, if an army comes against you, you better sit down and count the cost. You better plan this thing out. Use your brain, right, that I gave you some common sense, which seems to be in short supply in America these days. Right? So is it wrong to plan? The answer is, so how can you avoid then future tripping to the point where you, your plans become the will of God? Right? That's a great question. How would you answer that? Make plans and be flexible because, and allow God to change them. Okay? I like that answer. Anybody else got one? It's not wrong to plan. Many of the plans of man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Right? So there's nothing wrong with planning. But understand, oftentimes my plans are not his plans because his ways are not my ways and my thoughts are not his thoughts. So there better be some flexibility built in my life because I can very easily future trip to the point where my plans become God's. And I say, God bless my plans. <laughs> See how that one works out for you. See how that one works out for you. God bless my plans. I got this thing figured out. Probably better than you do, God. Okay, that's a great question, Chloe. And Jen's going to spend more time answering that for you. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Yes. Yep. Oh, hold right there. Anybody else regret what they've done in the past? Okay, good. Continue. You're not alone. That's what we're saying. Wow. I don't know how to, like, like, how do I stop myself from thinking about it? Good, good. Who's got an answer for that one? Anybody else here think about the past to the point you become so discouraged you feel like a piece of dirt? Anybody identify with that one? Anybody else beside me constantly beating yourself up about something that you did in the past? Yeah. So what do you do with that? Just put on your happy Christian face. Say, well, i got to go to church, even though it'll have little impact on my life. It's still fun, and I'm supposed to do it because I'm a Jesus follower. Check, check. <laughs> uh, so what do we do with that? If God has forgiven me, why can't I? There's a powerful statement right there. Now understand... God forgives, does he remember our sins after that? No. So who is doing the accusing? Ourselves. Ourselves, but who is ultimately doing the accusing? The accuser of the brethren, according to the book of Revelation, right? So that voice has got to be silenced. How do you silence the voice that's going on in your head? How do you take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, which is a command of Scripture? How do you do that? Make yourself busy. Make yourself busy. That's what Michael does. How's that working for you? 
No, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand, too. <laughs> Remember, oh, that's powerful. Remember the promise of God put them right in your heart so you counteract the thought with the Word of God. You pray about it, right? you got to take it this way because we will continue to beat ourselves up and pound ourselves. That's the enemy's territory, right? For some of us, the past is just ugly. It's not the good old days. It's like something I never want to remember again. But Paul said, I forget about the past, but he's just saying good or bad, no matter what's happened, I'm not going to let that control me. I'm not going to allow it to direct me. I'm going to stay in the moment. These are all great questions. We all wrestle with this stuff, you see. So, next week, we're going to get really practical. How can we stay in the present? Can we attain that? Frank Laubach asked, I'm asking the same question. Can I attain that? Well, not this side of glory, but man, I'm going down swinging. I am going to... Yeah, okay. Pastor Michael.